crew will take with them. Yeah. They also make take something that's special to them that allows them to either remember Earth or uh, take advantage of a hobby that they have, whether it's a guitar or uh, other musical instrument, uh, small items like that. It's, it must be nice to have that connection back to Earth and your family um, because of, yeah. uh, you know, you're up there in space and especially now with these long duration space missions lasting six months. And it's interesting, you mentioned the small effects. Uh, Commander Nicole Mann um, taking her wedding rings, but also some surprise special gifts for her family and a dream catcher that her mother made for her when she was a child. That's aboard uh, her personal effects, which you get about 3.3 pounds of personal effects, as you mentioned. Uh, so a nice cultural uh, memento, Hello. part of her heritage as a Native American, the first Native American woman to go to space. Let's check uh, back now with California and toss it out to Hawthorne with Sandra and Jesse. Ladies. Thanks, Daryl. We are just one hour and a little over 15 minutes from launch, and it is getting more and more exciting as we get to that T-Zero. The crew has already ingressed the Dragon vehicle. They were helped out by our closeout team. Umbilicals were attached uh, to their suits, which provides breathing air and comms to Dragon. Suit leak checks were completed, as well as comms checks completed with the core and the launch director. And after those suit leak checks, the closeout team was able to close and seal the hatch. We just got confirmation that we did have a good leak check uh, during the first round of closing the hatch. We, they did find a piece of FOD. It was a piece of hair. We were able to open it back up, remove the FOD, and close the hatch, and then completed that uh, seal check. Um, and now the closeout team is just wrapping up. And once they wrap up uh, in that white room, they will depart the white room. And those final weather checks will be coming up soon, uh, which will be necessary before a final go, no go. And there you can see the closeout team there on your screen. Again, just wrapping up the final procedures for hatch closure there. So let's check back in with Houston for a status on the team supporting the space station on their readiness for launch. Shaniqua, how's it going? Thanks, Jesse. The team here in Mission Control Houston has polled that they are go for the launch. The International Space Station and its onboard crew are ready for Crew-5 astronauts to lift off. When Flight Director Greg Whitney polled his team, he was asking the flight controllers who work on all the different systems on board the space station if their focus areas were online and working properly. This includes life support systems, proper communication links, computers that allow us to command the station on board and their subsystems, and our ability to maneuver the space station are fully functional. The crew in orbit is awake and just finished their midday meals. They will start crew arrival preparation shortly, making sure they are ready to receive the new crew tomorrow. Mission Control Houston will continue monitoring the mission as we check off milestones for today's flight. In the meantime, I'll send it back over to Hawthorne. The International Space Station Flight Control Room is ready for launch. Sandra? Thank you. 
Thanks, Shaniqua. That's great news. And while Crew 5 is launching today, just a few months ago, we were launching another crew to the International Space Station. That is, of course, Crew 4, who launched in April. The Crew 4 astronauts currently on board the International Space Station have spent nearly six months conducting scientific research in areas such as material science, health technologies, and plant science to prepare for human exploration beyond low Earth orbit and to benefit life on Earth. Such research also lays the groundwork for future exploration of the Moon and Mars, starting with the agency's Artemis missions. Dr. Chow Lingren was born in Tepe, Taiwan, but spent most of his childhood overseas in England. He was an instructor and jump master with the U.S. Air Force Academy and also has a doctorate in medicine and served as a NASA flight surgeon. After he was chosen as an astronaut, Lingren flew on Soyuz and spent 141 days in space during Expedition 44 and 45. He has a wife and three children and is the commander of Dragon Freedom. And up next is fellow airman Bob Hines. He was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and has a wife and three daughters. He has a Master of Science in Aerospace Engineering and served 21 years in the U.S. Air Force as a test pilot and as a fighter pilot in the F-15E. He came to NASA as a research pilot where he flew the science where he flew science missions in the WB-57. He's the pilot for NASA's SpaceX Crew-4 mission, which has been his first space flight. Now there's a couple mission specialists on board Crew-4, one of which is Jessica Watkins, who considers Lafayette, Colorado her hometown. A talented rugby player in college, her team won the national championship in 2008. Watkins was a postdoctoral fellow in the Division of Geological and Planetary Sciences at the California Institute of Technology. She completed several internships with NASA, including one testing system designs for the Mars Perseverance mission at JPL. She became an astronaut in 2017, and just like Bob, Crew 4 was her first flight to space. And the second mission specialist is Samantha Cristoforetti. She was born in Milan, Italy, but now lives in Cologne, Germany with her partner and two children. In 2006, she earned her fighter pilot wings and flew the AMX attack fighter pilot fighter at a base in Italy. In 2013, Cristoforetti launched into space aboard a Soyuz for a long duration space flight to the International Space Station. And several years later, she was awarded the Knight Grand and cross of the Order of Merit from the President of Italy. Crew 4 was her second space flight. This four-person crew is currently preparing for Crew 5's arrival and also their return back to Earth just days from now. And while Crew 4 was on board, they received a visit from another Dragon. SpaceX's 25th resupply mission to the International Space Station launched on July 14th, carrying over 5,800 pounds of science, research, hardware, and other crew supplies to the orbiting laboratory. Dragon stayed on station for a little over a month before being packed with critical research and hardware to be analyzed after a safe splashdown off the coast of Florida on August 20th. Now let's head over to Daryl at Kennedy Space Center. Daryl, how are you guys doing over there? Well, thank you, Jesse and Sandra. Well, we're having a beautiful day here at the Kennedy Space Center. You can see behind us, we're at the Launch Complex 39 where media are gathering, getting ready to count down the final hour as we get ready to watch Crew-5 launch into space. It is a big day. And 
especially here at the Kennedy Space Center where we have just been cranking out the launches, Bob. Three launches in three days from three different pads. We had uh, the Atlas V going off from 40 yesterday. We've got Crew-5, of course, from Launch Complex 39A today, and then tomorrow, SpaceX launching from their other launch pad, Pad 41. Topping. Outstanding uh, to see all that action down here at the Kennedy Space Center. And again, it's a beautiful day. I'm looking forward to seeing the Crew-5 uh, folks uh, get into orbit. Indeed, and liftoff time is still holding for noon Eastern time, 56 seconds after noon, if you want to be right on the second. We're also tracking no issues at the moment with Falcon 9 or Dragon. We did have an additional suit leak check that we performed as well as a spacecraft leak check. Those are good to go. Dragon now good to go. The range is green. And of course, the weather is doing fabulous here at the Kennedy Space Center. Downrange, they're watching some winds in the, uh, the abort uh, corridor, but they're looking good right now. And so the crew of Crew 5 talking about Commander Nicole Mann, Pilot Josh Cassida, and Mission Specialist Koichi Wakata and Ana Kikina. Well, they donned their spacesuits in the historic crew quarters suit-up room this morning. They woke up around 4.30 a.m., donned those suits around 7 a.m. They walked out of the crew quarters building as every NASA astronaut has done since Apollo 7. And then they were transported to the pad where they climbed inside the SpaceX Dragon Endurance for its second flight. Now we are seeing them live while they await liftoff. Bob, you live this with your fellow astronaut, Doug Hurley. What is the crew doing right now at this moment? You know, Daryl, it's a, it's a good question at this point. I think you can see on the camera that what the crew is really focused on right now is uh, relaxing. You know, they've had a hectic morning, if you will, one that's very well scripted, one that's very well controlled, but one that causes them to need to be on schedule through all the individual milestones leading up to launch. That part's behind them now, and they're taking a chance to relax and catch their breath uh, before the tanking operations begin here in uh, just a few minutes. Indeed, tanking coming up, as well as the launch escape system checkout and the arming that will follow. The rocket is on the pad, ready to go. And over the next hour, we will conduct a series of polls to get ready for launch. The crew will also, as I mentioned, will be arming that launch escape system and then the fueling of Falcon 9 will begin. Let's talk a little bit about the details of today's flight. Launch, of course, as we mentioned, set for a, just a few seconds after noon, a little more than an hour from now. And then Crew-5 astronauts will race towards space, reaching orbit in about 12 minutes. That's followed by a roughly 29-hour flight to dock with the International Space Station, one of the longer transit times to the ISS. And then that docking will happen at 4.57 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. And, of course, we'll have coverage of that. A quick history of NASA's commercial crew program. It all began with the first successful and historic test flight Dragon, of SpaceX. Crew Dragon. The closeout team has departed the crew arm, and with that, ground is going to cycle the orbit tank isolation valves to equalize low flow pressure. Dragon tank. All right, they're cycling the valve there, and as well, closeout team is now departing. That location that you see, 39A, they'll be uh, making their way off the pad, and that'll 
lead us into getting ready to fuel the rocket. Of course, I was talking about the historic test flight for my uh, partner here and co-host, Bob Benkin, his crewmate, Doug Hurley. Together, they flew the mission that was called Demo-2. And uh, after Bob and Doug returned, of course, NASA was certified uh, with SpaceX to fly astronauts regularly to and from the International Space Station. And, of course, that led to the regular rotational missions that we see today, the fifth rotational mission to the International Space Station. Let's check in now with Kate Tice in California. Thanks, Daryl. Uh, quick status update for those that have recently tuned in. We've had a smooth countdown so far today. You can see there on your screen, our four Crew-5 astronauts have ingressed. They are in their seats. Their five-point safety harness is buckled in, and uh, they are looking relaxed and ready to go. Uh, they ingressed about an hour and 45 minutes ago, um, and the teams have completed the required comm checks, the suit leak checks, the side hatch closure, and its associated leak check. We did have to redo that leak check as a piece of FOD uh, was found in the seal. So so we opened the hatch back up, uh, cleared out the seal, cleaned it, and then uh, closed the hatch again and reperformed that leak check. And we got good leak check there. Um, and we heard just moments ago that the closeout team is beginning to depart the pad. Uh, and at that point in time, it'll just be the crew five astronauts left on the pad once the closeout team departs the BDA. Uh, at this point in time, I'm happy to report that the SpaceX team is working no issues uh, and the pace is certainly beginning to pick up. As for Falcon 9, our two-stage reusable rocket, final propulsion checkouts of the first and second stages and the engine began a few minutes ago in preparation for propellant loading. Uh, this involves testing and cycling valves and engine pneumatics pressurization. At T40, at T minus 45 minutes, the team will report their readiness for prop load with a final electronic go no-go poll. Again, that prop load will begin at T minus 35 minutes. Uh, as for Dragon, before we can start loading propellant on Falcon 9, we still have a few Dragon-related tasks to perform. Uh, first, we need to retract the crew access arm away from the Dragon capsule. We can see it there, uh, currently connecting the crew tower to the capsule. Uh, we will need to retract that access arm away to its launch position. Uh, that will happen between T minus 44 and 42 minutes, uh, so shortly coming up. That will be the that that will be the last physical change to the crew tower. Um, with the access arm out of the way, the launch escape system will then be armed. Once those two events are complete, Dragon will be ready for uh, Falcon propellant loading. Uh, we did hear earlier uh, in one of the pre-launch briefs that once the launch escape system is armed, we will not have the ability to recycle. Uh, so we are basically locked in for launch today as soon as we have that launch system um, uh, armed. As for weather, we will also ver verify with the launch weather officer uh, that all the weather meets all of the associated constraints, including items such as wind speed, lightning, and precipitation. Um, <laughs> looks like with those beautiful blue sky behind Falcon and barely any clouds. Uh, we don't think rain is going to be an issue, nor lightning. Uh, now, we do expect uh, acceptable weather conditions for launch, both at surface level and upper altitudes. As I mentioned earlier, we have been watching those downrange winds, and they continue to trend favorably. So everything green there. 
As for the range, currently clear for launch from historic launch pad 39A, the worldwide network of ground stations and the tracking and data relay satellites, or TDRS as you hear us refer, uh, refer to it as, um, those are ready to support Dragon as it heads into orbit. Today we have an instantaneous launch window at 12 p.m. Eastern, noon on the dot. Uh, once we begin loading propellant, there is no opportunity to change that T0. The timing for Dragon to rendezvous with the International Space Station is incredibly precise down to the very second. So we only get one chance at it today. But at good news, at T minus one hour uh, on the dot and counting, we are go for launch. And we are now less than one hour until liftoff. This day is Dragon, the continuing. You are go for section six. When ready, report go for launch. Dragon copies. We're stepping into section six of four decimal 100 preparation for LES Army. Good readback. So again, we are now less than one hour until liftoff, and this day is the continuation of regular crew flights to the space station from U.S. soil. SpaceX's Crew-5 mission will be the company's sixth crewed spaceflight for NASA, following the crewed test flight Demo-2 and four previous operational crewed missions to the International Space Station. It will also be SpaceX's eighth crewed spaceflight overall, including the private orbital mission Inspiration-4. Today, our crew is flying on board Dragon Endurance. It will be the second flight for this capsule, and it will be taking a ride on a brand new Falcon 9. Now, it's been a great countdown so far. Weather, as Kate has been updating us with, is still good for T0, so the excitement just continues to pick up here as we get closer to that T0. Dragon in section six, crew five is go for launch. Copy that, Nicole. Crew 5 is go for launch. And you just heard it yourself. Crew 5 is go for launch. Another exciting milestone. We did start our coverage earlier today with the crew heading to the launch pad. And prior to that, the SpaceX team did help the crew put on their spacesuits and conduct initial checkouts before crew walkout. Crew walkout was where Nicole Mann, Josh Cassida, Koichi Wakata, and Anya Kikina gave final goodbyes with friends and family gathered outside the operations and checkout building before they began that roughly 20-minute ride to pad 39A. And we were able to watch the crew as they boarded their Teslas and headed down the NASA causeway, headed towards the launch pad. And once they arrived at the pad, the crew took a moment to enjoy the view of the vehicle as that they will be taking flight on uh, this afternoon and then headed up the fixed service structure to begin a process known as crew ingress, where the astronauts entered the Dragon spacecraft. The SpaceX team then performed a series of checks to ensure the suits, seats, and vehicle interactions were all functioning properly. And a short time ago, a short time ago, the team did close out Dragon's hatch, and the crew is safely inside. So with less than an hour to go until liftoff, things will continue to pick up as we get close to the go, no-go pole to arm the launch escape system and begin propellant loading. The crew pull for readiness was completed at the T minus 60 minute mark and the Dragon pull for prop load is coming up here at T minus 55 minutes. After that at T minus 45 minutes will be an internal mission control Hawthorne pull and then the launch director's pull for propellant loading. 
When we get to about T minus 40 minutes, the crew access arm will retract and the crew will get the call to close their visors and to arm the launch escape system. Now this is the automated safety system in place that can fire the eight Super Draco thrusters on Dragon to quickly separate the crew from the rocket either on the pad or during the flight on the ride uphill. And then once we reach about T minus 35 minutes, propellant loading for the Falcon 9 will begin. So we did hear that the crew is go for launch. Great news. So with that, let's send it back to the team in Florida. Megan. Great news, guys. So yeah, now I'm joined with uh, Brian Onyate, but I'm going to have him say his title because I think I'm going to mess it up. So you say what you are. Sure. Uh, good morning. Yeah, my, I'm the Chief of the Utilization and Life Sciences Office here at Kennedy Space Center. Yeah, it was a little long. I was like, I'm going to have him say it. Yep, long title. So I wanted to talk to you about how NASA has been studying plant growth and microgravity for many years now. So tell us about the two experiments that Crew-5 is going to be working on while they're on station. Sure. Uh, we have two uh, experiments going up. One is more of a plant research experiment. Uh, we call it Plant Habitat 03. Mm -hmm. um, it will be going into the advanced plant habitat. And actually, uh, that plant experiment is doing a generational study. So as you can see, uh, that's the advanced plant habitat. And those, uh, the plant that is growing in there is called Arabidopsis. Mm -hmm. It's our model plant. And uh, basically, we're going to grow that and get it all the way to seed. And, and the study is basically getting those seeds, bringing them back, and then reflying those seeds to see what happens. So what's interesting is... And the second picture, right, that we yeah. have, that's how you capture the seeds. Yeah, that's how we capture the seeds. What's interesting about those seeds, um, they're actually the size of pepper. So imagine oh. the pepper that you put on your food. Um, very tiny, very small. So we had to actually develop these capture bags to grab those seeds. Uh, so what we're noticing is, in a previous experiment, um, the DNA of the plant actually changed. And it almost mm. seemed like it was trying to protect it itself from the environment of hmm. space, the harsh environment that's up there. Mm -hmm. So what we want to study is, can we actually um, grab those seeds and will those seeds remember that environment? So when we fly the second generation, will they kind of have a leg up? Will they go already kind of pre-programmed to protect themselves? So that way the plants will thrive in space. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Why is that something that you wanted to see? What can we learn from that or use? Yeah, so what we can do is uh, for exploration with NASA, obviously we want to get to the orbiting station around the moon one day or the surface or the transit vehicle or Mars, how can we better prepare the plants that we mm. send or the crops that we send up there so that they actually are ready to go, they'll thrive and we understand what's happening so that the crew can actually consume something great. So. Always forward thinking here at Always NASA. forward We're thinking. We're great. Yeah, always <laughs> forward thinking. Well, let's talk about the second experiment. That one's called Veg05 and we have some props here to yeah. kind of walk people through that, Yeah, right? we do. Yeah. So Veg05, it's actually, um, we're growing dwarf tomato plants okay. um, and we're going to put them in this uh, what we call here is a plant pillow mm -hmm. um, it's what's interesting it's actually made out of Kevlar so oh. exactly what police <laughs> use in their police vest so I guess they might be bulletproof um, plant <laughs> pillows but yeah so these plant pillows it's just basically how do we hold the soil how do we put the fertilizer and the seed in there in order for us to um, grow the plants because they would just fly around on the space they station. they would just fly around on sure. the space station so we have a little what we call a quick disconnect here this is where we apply the water so once we apply the water in there uh, we have to keep watering it like here on earth and just let the plants grow and um, let them thrive in space. Mm -hmm. So, And uh, you mentioned the fertilizer. Yep, the fertilizer and the arcelite. So what you see there on, on the right there is the um, arcelite, which is actually clay chips, right? It's okay. the soil that basically allows the water to be absorbed and allows the plants' roots to kind of grow in there and grab water and nutrients. Um, the second there that you see there is a fertilizer, and it's a slow-release fertilizer. So when we add water into it, it kind of dissolves little by little, and it provides the food that the plants need. 
seeds so that they can grow. Okay, yeah. so why is this important for us on space, but also here on Earth to learn about this particular experiment? Sure, um, both of these experiments are important. One is um, obviously for exploration, we wanna make sure that the seeds that we send, the plants that we grow will thrive, right? So what, how can we make them excel in space, mm -hmm. right? And the second piece um, with Vegio 5, which we find interesting is, how can we actually give food for the crew? to eat on orbit, right? Sure. So healthy, nutritious food. This is actually gonna be our second um, flowering plant that we grow in space, which is awesome. Uh, so they'll grow up there, they'll have to pollinate, you know, and the crew members might have to be our space bees. Oh. You know, we don't have bees up there <laughs> to help us pollinate, so sure. they might have to, you know, help with pollination. They'll grow and then hopefully they'll um, get some nutritious fresh food up Great. there. And yeah. the benefit, um, what I find interesting here for Earth is there's a lot of things that we learn with ISS. ISS is basically a laboratory or another test tool. So we really want to see what data can we gather from growing up there. So when we bring it down to Earth, if we're in a stressful environment or another environment that is challenging, sure. what did we learn up there so we can actually grow better, better crops here on Earth? I so, love hearing about the science, Brian. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that with no us. No problem. Sounds All right. great. Thank we'll you. We'll send it back to you guys. Thank you, Megan and Brian. And uh, throughout the show, we've been taking your hashtag Ask NASA questions from social media. We have time for a few more that have been coming in, and we appreciate those questions coming. If you want to submit one, it's hashtag Ask NASA on our streaming channels, NASA Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. The question is from Aditi on YouTube. He asked Bob Binken, how was the launch experience different on Space Shuttle and Crew Dragon? Was one better than the other? No, it's a great question, Daryl. We often get asked which vehicle is better, uh, which one we love the most, and from my perspective, I loved them both. You know, I had a great opportunity to fly and build space station with a space shuttle, but then rotate as a crew member with the Dragon on a modern spacecraft. You know, that was a, a really neat aspect to see something that was kind of built in the 21st century versus something that was built, you know, in, in almost the middle of the 20th century. If you look back at the technology that was on board the shuttle, just super excited to have an opportunity to fly on such a cool modern new ship. And now, next question at Mike Mangano. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Asked, and this is a, a fitting question for you, Bob. Did the NASA astronauts who fly the Dragon capsule help in the design of the capsule? Why, yes, they did, and that was you. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, it was an interesting experience, I think, for both uh, Doug and I to have the opportunity to not only fly on a new spacecraft, but be a part of shaping it for crews to come forward. And I think as we went through that process, the SpaceX team really learned how to work with us and how to take our inputs and incorporate them into design whenever they could and explain to us when they couldn't because everything that we wanted, they couldn't necessarily do. But uh, we were able to compromise and come up with good solutions so that uh, years later, maybe in Crew 5's case, you know, they wouldn't be cursing Bob and Doug's name <laughs> as to what they had agreed to or said was acceptable uh, when the time came. We wanted to have opportunities for them to have choices we included the opportunity to write on paper, but also to have a tablet, you know, so that crews, as they went forward with their missions, would be able to find the place that, you know, helped them be as successful as they could be. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that there just aren't too many curses associated with uh, Bob <laughs> and Doug. And it's mostly, you know, hey, those guys, uh, they were thinking when they did this. So, And we've had good results so far with uh, four launches and the fifth today. Our next question comes from atmorearts.com. If the astronaut's schedule shifts during docking activities, does their schedule shift later in the day or the next morning? You know, we do know that the, the ISS crew is sleep shifting in order to accommodate this crew. 
It's true, Daryl, that the, the crew actually has to sleep shift to accommodate the schedules of the vehicle traffic that arrives on board the space station. There are even times when the vehicle arrives a few minutes early or a few minutes late, and the crew needs to be ready for that as well. And so uh, the crew does shift their day around to support all the operational activities, not only vehicle traffic and arrivals, but uh, a spacewalk may impact things or, or other activities that are happening on the ground, for example, might drive a schedule to be specific as well. But the crew's given time to recover after each of those sleep shifts. Very good. And for those watching, if you want to ask a question of Bob Binkin, just follow us on Twitter at NASA Social or check us out on the web at nasa.gov forward slash social. Thanks for ask, or answering those questions, Bob. Great job. Let's send it now back out to Kate at SpaceX for an update on the countdown. Kate? Always love hearing those responses from any astronaut, but especially Bob because he flew uh, on our uh, DM2 mission uh, a couple years ago. Um, so at this point in time, we're now under an hour. We're at T minus 48 minutes, and the SpaceX launch team uh, is finishing the final review of data from checkouts of Falcon 9 over the last hour. The launch director uh, has verified with the launch weather officer that weather meets propellant loading constraints. So next up will be to pull the team for readiness, uh, both for propellant load and for launch. This will be the last pull before liftoff. The seven SpaceX responsible engineers, often called REs, indicate that they are go by electronically voting on the online countdown procedure. The launch director, or LD, as you hear it called on the nets, also checks with the Dragon mission director, or MD, and the NASA launch manager to make sure that they are also ready. Earlier, you saw the vehicle assembly building called the VAB, the Falcon and Dragon launch team, as well as key NASA launch members are in the launch control center adjacent to the VAB. They have a view straight toward pad 39A through the large windows of firing room four. Now there on screen, you can see the Dragon capsule on the right-hand side. The crew access arm is still in the service position. I've recently heard that the closeout team has departed the tower and they are in the process of departing the blast danger area. Uh, now, with the crew on board Dragon waiting for next instructions, which will be to stow the crew arm for launch, uh, and um, the crew arm sequence will be armed and initiated. We should get a good view of the access arm as it Pitching swings. operators on countdown. Pulling is complete. The team has pulled go for crew access arm retract, LES arm, propellant load, and launch. For all operators in MCCX and firing room four, both control rooms will go into lockdown at T minus 45 minutes and remain in that state until launch escape system is disarmed. All operators are to remain at their console, maintain a sterile cockpit until MD confirms successful disarming of the launch escape system following orbit insertion or propellant offload in the event of a scrub. For non-urgent no-go conditions, brief the CE or LD and they will approve aborting the countdown. For urgent issues affecting the safety of the operation, operators shall call hold, 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 countdown net. Launch control will abort the launch auto sequence and immediately proceed into launch abort. The T minus 10 seconds, launch control will be hands off, relying on automated abort criteria for the remainder of the count. Operators advise the launch director whether structural breakup or fires imminent or occurring per Dragon manual escape flight rules. Launch control at this time may proceed with arming the crew arm for movement. Launch control copies, proceeding to arm, crew arm for movement. 
All right, quick recap there. All really good news. Um, it sounds like the final poll has been conducted and all of the uh, responsible engineers polled go, um, as well as the range they pulled ready for launch and the NASA team, um, for, or the NASA launch team uh, is also ready for launch. Uh, so everything continuing to look good. Uh, we just heard there that the crew arm, uh, excuse me, the crew access arm will be armed for retraction, meaning it will move away from the Dragon crew capsule. Crew arm retraction started. All right, and there we should get a view of that crew access arm now moving away from Dragon capsule. Again, this will swing out into its launch position. This is the final change to the crew access arm, excuse me, to the crew tower. Um, of course, the transporter erector will move away from the rocket as it lifts off uh, and just shortly before liftoff. So that, in fact, will be the last major physical change that we see to the pad. Uh, but this crew access arm retraction um, is the final, uh, will be the final state for the access arm for launch. This retraction should take about a minute to complete. Uh, now, as I mentioned before, the range continues to be go for launch, monitoring the clearance area around the launch pad, as well as air and sea space around the flight corridor. Uh, and of course, uh, here at Kennedy Space Center, as you see on your screen, uh, the conditions are gorgeous. Uh, everything continues to be acceptable for launch. Many things go into consideration, such as ground winds, uh, any rain that might be in the area, as well as potential for lightning, any thick clouds. And of course, as I mentioned before, downrange landing zones. Uh, we have mentioned before that we've been tracking those, but everything continues to look green for launch. Um, at this point in time, everything is looking on time uh, for our liftoff at noon Eastern. We can see that crew access arm continue to retract. Pretty cool shot there from inside the arm on the right-hand side of your screen as we see Dragon slowly move out of the frame. So with all that being said, the teams are ready. Uh, we will begin the propellant load at T minus 35 minutes. Uh, and we are getting excited here at SpaceX headquarters. The energy is definitely starting to pick up outside of mission control. Uh, but with that, let's hand it off to Daryl to check in back over there at Kennedy Space Center. All right, thank you, Kate. And uh, back here on the lawn and the host desk looking out at uh, what one of my coworkers called a a picnic vibe with the media and NASA social folks all joined here to watch Crew 5 launch in just crew about access 42 minutes. Crew access arm retraction complete. And there you heard confirmation that that crew access arm has fully retracted from the rocket. A gorgeous shot there from our flight operations team here at the Kennedy Space Center, a helicopter encircling the pad right now to give you that view. Great job, fellas. T-minus 42 minutes and counting as we zip around Launch Complex 39A. The background, the launch tower for Dragon, and in the foreground, a Starship launch tower under construction. Up next, we're looking at the launch escape system getting ready to arm, and of course, that comes right before we start loading propellant. We're expecting to hear those call-outs in just a bit on a beautiful Bluebird day at the Kennedy Space Center. Our crew, Crew 5, is in their seats at the very top of that rocket inside the capsule Endurance, making its second flight. There they are from left to right. Cosmonaut Anna Kikina, 
Josh Cassida, Nicole Mann, and Koichi Wakata. And Daryl, they're getting into position to begin their procedure that'll have them arming that launch escape system that you mentioned. Uh, they'll be able to hear some uh, clicking of valves and follow along on their display screen as uh, once they've kicked off that procedure, as the, the vehicle kind of catches up and completes that arming sequence. And as you know, uh, once the fueling operations uh, begin, uh, the crew has to be ready to potentially launch uh, somewhere uh, if there was sort of some sort of a problem. And so that launch escape system needs to be in place and armed in preparation for that fueling operation to begin. That system will stay armed throughout the ascent phase until the crew is actually safely in orbit, allowing them a, a safe way to escape from the Falcon 9 rocket should there be any sort of a, a problem with the vehicle. And we're expecting to see the astronauts close their visors and arm the launch escape system that you just talked about, Bob, here in a little over a minute. We'll get the call out from the launch team. You'll also see them uh, ensure that their feet are in the appropriate uh, locked in position. Their straps are tight uh, because again, should that system be required, uh, they might be going for a, a pretty significant dynamic ride. But uh, of course we don't expect that to happen today, uh, but they'll have that system uh, in place uh, just in case as the appropriate safety measure. Yeah, Bob, that launch escape system powered by Super Draco engines capable of moving Dragon a half a mile in just seven and a half seconds, which is equivalent to a peak velocity of 436 miles per hour. I know you know this system well. You were very much like briefed and very aware of its capabilities. You want to be able to not only get off the launch pad, but also get off the rocket while in flight, so it's got to move fast. Absolutely, Daryl. And for shuttle systems, you know, the crew would really have to do a lot of manual activities to, to steer the vehicle uh, through the uh, appropriate escape or abort uh, scenarios as we talked about them in those days. Uh, but this system is highly automated and the crew primarily follows along with its operations. Dragon, you are go for section seven of 4.100 to close visors and arm the launch escape system. SpaceX Dragon copies stepping into Section 7. All crew visors are closed. We are arming the launch escape system. SpaceX copies all. That's Commander Nicole Mann reporting back and confirming. Their visors are closed and they are ready to arm the launch escape system. And you can see the crew members uh, pulling their straps and ensuring that they are they are buckled in because uh, from a crew perspective, uh, that relaxation period that I talked about earlier is now over. Mm. Yeah, it's all business now. Want to make sure that you're in your seat firm and tight for the operation of fueling. This is also the part of the operation that starts to be a little bit different than training. You know, you really can't. Uh, uh, capture the tones. On countdown one, launch escape system is verified armed. All right, we got the verification of the armed escape system. So from a training perspective, the sounds and, and things that the crew will hear during the loading operation are just different than they're able to capture from a training perspective. And so now is when it starts to, again, be a little bit different from a crew perspective. There's no simulating that system.
You know, there is some acoustics that they tried to capture. Falcon 9 tanks will be venting for the start of prop load. Expect loud venting. That they tried to capture with the uh, Demo 1 uh, uh, audio, if you will. But uh, as you heard in the, the comm that uh, just came through there, you know, you need to get reminded to expect loud venting during some of the operations. And these are new things from a crew perspective that uh, you've been briefed on, but now you're going to hear them for the first time. Three of the four crew members inside that capsule right now have never flown to space before. They are first-time flyers. The lone exception, Koichi Wakata, who is a veteran with JAXA and is getting ready to embark on his fifth flight to space. And as we wait for the next mark. You know, the crew's experience, uh, whether it's a space shuttle or a Soyuz or the Dragon vehicle or, or Starliner or Artemis, uh, as we move towards that, these experiences are all slightly different. And so uh, I'm excited to hear, you know, Koichi's discussion as he tries to balance and describe uh, all three of them side by side when he gets back from this mission. <laughs> Would love to hear him talk about the, the comparisons. There's only a few of, uh, a few astronauts like him, right, that have been able to fly on all three vehicles. Yes, and, and as we go forward here with the uh, Artemis missions coming forward, I'm excited to have folks compare and contrast uh, their Orion experience, their SLS experience with uh, Falcon 9 or our other rockets. That's going to be fun. Just a few seconds now and... We're awaiting the confirmation to the beginning of loading propellant into the Falcon 9 rocket. With a beautiful shot there as we encircle the launch pad. Just a few more seconds until that call out. Propellant loading has started. And so it begins. The loading of propellant aboard uh, the Falcon 9 rocket, liquid oxygen and RP-1. Got your propellant and your oxidizer, which blended together, make quite the combustion, millions of pounds of thrust to get Crew-5 into space. Now, there are a lot of details to that operation, Daryl, with the, each of the stages. And as you mentioned, the oxidizer and the fuel both needing to be loaded. And so uh, the crew will follow along with that carefully as the uh, loading operation commences. Uh, if there was any reason for them to need to stop that operation, uh, the, the crew would expect that, that propellant loading to kind of be backed out and reversed. And so they'll want to understand the state of that fueling operation going forward just in case they had to back out of it. And we've got a social question now from at Grant B117, who asks, how long does it take to complete the fueling operations? You know, it's a great question, Daryl, and, and they started it at uh, 35 minutes because that's really prior to liftoff because that's how really how long it takes for the loading operations to kind of get executed. Uh, the, the crew 
goes through the process, the ground team of, of loading that propellant, uh, ensuring that they get the proper commodities on board. Uh, the actual sequencing of things might be affected a little bit by the temperature uh, on a given day, but uh, they have that, that process well monitored and they begin at 35 minutes because uh, that's how long it takes uh, to, to get the rocket all fueled up. Thank you for asking or for answering those questions and to you out there for asking the questions, keep them coming. Hashtag Ask NASA on our various social platforms. And again, now that fueling for Falcon 9 has started, that means the eight Super Draco engines inside Crew Dragon are ready, if needed, to launch the capsule away from Falcon 9 in an instant, should there be any kind of emergency associated with the rocket or the pad. The NASA and SpaceX teams have trained extensively for exactly that type of contingency. And so now let's go over to Kate Tice at SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne for another operations update. Kate. Thanks, Daryl. You can probably tell by the background noise that uh, things are starting to get more exciting now that we're just uh, practically 30 minutes away from launch of Crew 5, certainly counting down the final minutes. Everything's still looking good for Falcon 9 and Dragon. Uh, with that launch escape system now armed, we are heading for an on-time launch uh, just 32 minutes from now. As you saw, uh, Falcon 9 propellant load began right on time at T minus 35 minutes. The first and second stages of Falcon 9 are each loaded with two liquid propellants. One is fuel, which is loaded into a tank at the bottom of each stage, and the other is an oxidizer, and that's loaded into a tank at the top of each stage. The fuel that we use to power the Merlin engines is a refined kerosene referred to as RP-1 or rocket propellant 1. Uh, the oxidizer loaded on each stage is a densified liquid oxygen or LOX. Densified means that it's kept much colder than typical for launch vehicles and it takes up less volume. And as such, this allows for more oxidizer to be loaded into the first and second stages. Now to ignite the fuel and oxidizer in the Merlin rocket engine, we use an ignition fluid called TTEP. When TTEP comes into contact with oxygen, it burns, giving off a green colored flame. Once we have that flame going, we add in the kerosene fuel to the Merlin chamber and the engine ramps up to full power. You might actually be able to see that green flash just as the second stage engine ignites following stage separation, uh, which is expected to happen about two minutes and 48 seconds into flight. Right now, we're topping off helium into pressure vessels on both stages. Uh, this is used to pressurize tanks in flight as propellant is pulled out of those tanks by the Merlin turbo pumps. Now, on board the spacecraft, the astronauts are monitoring systems from their crew Stage monitors. Cryo-helium loading has started. All right, there we just heard that the cryo-helium load has begun. Again, that is going into those uh, pressure vessels that I mentioned earlier. Now, the crew training simulator uh, has included playback of the sounds that uh, were recorded in a previous Dragon capsule uh, during recent flights. So all of the pops and the hisses that the vehicle puts out, um, all the crew has heard those before, though not live. Uh, so they are prepared for all the noises, the extra noises that they're now hearing. Uh, as for the range, continues to report no problems. They are go to support launch. Weather also clearly looking great. I think we're actually seeing even fewer clouds than we were about 20 minutes ago. Uh, we had a less than 10% chance or probability of violation of our weather constraints, also known as a POV. Uh, so that's really good. Uh, that is for um, the launch site conditions. We are also tracking downrange weather conditions as well as uh, launch sites around the world in the unlikely event that Dragon needs to escape. Now, 
As a reminder, today we have an instantaneous launch time because we're heading to the International Space Station. So at this point in time, if we hear a hold for any reason, we will have to stand down and target our backup launch opportunity, uh, which is tomorrow, just under 24 hours from today's planned launch. Uh, at this point in time, at just under T minus 30 minutes till launch, let's turn it back over to Jesse and Sandra for an overview of what's to come until liftoff. Great, thanks Kate. Always great to hear that we've got good weather and it looks beautiful over there at KSC. For Crew 5, the astronauts flight to station will take about 29 hours. And as we await T0 in just about 28 minutes from now, the ground operations team is doing a series of system checks to make sure both Dragon and Falcon 9 are ready for launch. You're looking at a live view of our teams at the Cape as they prepare for liftoff. And as we wait for the launch clock to hit zero, we want to give you an overview of what the ascent portion of the mission will look like. Now, once we hit T0 and a successful launch occurs, we will watch Falcon 9 and Dragon lift off from historic launch pad 39A and make their ascent. About 50 seconds into flight, Falcon's nine engines will throttle down to help pass through the period of a maximum dynamic pressure on the rocket, or what we typically refer to as max Q. At this point in time, the vehicle will be going supersonic. And once we're through the period of maximum dynamic pressure, we can throttle up our nine Merlin engines again. From there, at about two and a half minutes into flight, we have a series of three events that will happen in rapid succession. The first is MECO, or main engine cutoff. And this is where all nine Merlin 1D engines shut off in preparation for stage separation, which is, of course, our second event. This is where the first stage detaches from the second stage, and the first stage will make its way back to Earth for landing, while the second stage continues on its journey with the third event, which is SES-1, or second stage engine start number one. And this is where the MVAC engine lights up and propels the second stage, along with our Crew-5 astronauts, to orbit. As stage two heads towards its targeted drop-off orbit, stage one will execute two burns in order to make its way back down to Earth. The first is the entry burn, and that's where three of the nine M1D engines will reignite and shut down, and this helps to slow the stage down in preparation for entry back into the Earth's atmosphere. While the first stage is heading back to Earth, the second stage will cut off its one Merlin engine that was ignited right after stage separation. Once this happens, we will wait for confirmation of a good orbital insertion. About 90 seconds after Dragon gets into orbit, Falcon 9 will land back on Earth. The landing burn is just a single engine burn, powerful enough to bring the vehicle speed down rapidly in order to touch down on the drone ship at about nine and a half minutes into the mission. While Falcon 9's first stage is landing, Dragon is preparing to separate from the second stage. About three minutes after the second stage gets into orbit, we should have a great view of Dragon with its four-person crew drifting away from the second stage. Once Dragon is a short distance away, it will begin checking out its Draco maneuvering thrusters to make sure Dragon continues to increase separation distance from the second stage. And it is worth noting that these are not the Super Draco engines that would be used during an abort scenario. About 40 seconds after separation, Dragon's nose cone deploy sequence will begin. It will take roughly four minutes for the nose cone hooks to unlatch and open, exposing its guidance navigation controls that will help Dragon autonomously fly to the space station. 
And lastly, once the nose cone is deployed, the remaining Draco thrusters on the forward bulkhead will be checked. From there, over Stage the next... Stage two, cryo-helium loading has started. From there, over the next 29 hours, Dragon will be in its rendezvous and approach phases, undergoing a number of phasing burns as it makes its way back to station. All that will be coming up soon, but for now, let's check back in with Shaniqua in Mission Control Houston. Shaniqua? Thanks, Sandra. The flight controllers here in Mission Control Houston are laser-focused on the onboard systems of the space station, making sure it is ready to receive Dragon vehicle tomorrow. They're also making sure communication links between the station, Dragon, and the ground are working properly. The consensus right now is that everything is proceeding nominally. Teams here in Mission Control Houston, the teams in Hawthorne, and the astronauts aboard the space station will monitor the autonomous docking of the Dragon spacecraft tomorrow evening. They'll perform a series of leak checks, then work to open the hatches both on the Dragon side and inside the space station's pressurized mating adapter. We expect hatch opening to take place around an hour and a half after docking. And once aboard, the astronauts will be greeted by station commander Samantha Christopheretti and then the whole station will station crew will join in from for welcoming remarks to the new crew members now due to critical science this welcoming remarks will be about 90 minutes after the crew is on board once on board, the crew members will no longer be referred to as crew 5 but rather as flight engineers of the international space station here in mission control flight director Greg Whitney is on console overseeing the team for launch and he will be back tomorrow for docking. We'll be on air continuously through Crew-5's arrival, but live coverage of docking is expected tomorrow around 4.57 p.m. Eastern time. That's it from now from Mission Control Houston. I'll toss it back to the team in Florida. Daryl, how's it looking? Well, it's wonderful out here, Shaniqua. Wish you could be here. We got picnic weather out here at the press site and Launch Complex 39 where we are looking out for the launch of Crew-5 from historic Launch Complex 39A, a beautiful sweeping shot of the lawn where we have our special guests, the media uh, are here. We've got NASA social folks who are out on the lawn, and of course, me and Bob. <laughs> Bob's riding shotgun here as we take our coverage to the next level at the final 23 minutes of liftoff. Now, from the countdown, rather. Uh, we are just seconds away from the fifth astronaut rotation mission to the International Space Station under NASA's commercial crew program. Commander Nicole Mann, pilot Josh Cassida, and mission specialist Koichi Wakata and Anna Kikana are strapped into their seats inside the Dragon Endurance at the very top of this rocket here. We, can, uh, we are listening in to the communications as they talk live to the Falcon 9 team. The rocket is fueling. The operation is doing well. And the launch escape system is armed. Of course, that means Dragon is prepared to launch itself away from the Falcon 9 rocket in case of an emergency on the pad or after liftoff. So far, operations looking and sounding as expected. And we are counting down to our liftoff at just after noon, 12 p.m. and 57 seconds after the hour Eastern time. There was a one-second adjustment. That's pretty typical as happens. Uh, when we get to this stage of the mission. The mission is the continuation of rotational crew flights to the International Space Station from U.S. soil on private rockets and spacecraft. Of course, this would not have been possible without the success of the NASA SpaceX Demo-2 test flight now two years ago 
and of course the safe delivery and return of crews one, two, three, and eventually here in about a week, crew four. Of course, we're happy to have the pilot from uh, Demo 2, and that's Bob Binkin. Appreciate you being here, been giving us some great uh, thoughts and explanations about everything that's been happening. Well, thank you, Daryl. I'm super excited to be here for Crew 5 and get a chance to relive my experience during the uh, Demo 2 mission. And it's been a great one so far. We've watched the crew get into the capsule. We've watched, uh, they worked through a couple of issues early on, but those have been cleared. Uh, a suit leak check and a uh, hatch leak check that uh, had to be double checked. Now we're rolling along and uh, moving towards liftoff. A couple things that are coming up as we count down. We're going to have stage two RP1 load complete. That's in 20 seconds. A few seconds later, we'll get strong back chill. That will begin in order to set the stage for the stage two liquid oxygen load. propellants load is not an exact science but once it completes we'll hear that call out stage two rp1 load is complete and there you heard it let's talk a little bit about the crew if you're just joining us we have a four-person crew that we call crew five and it's commanded by nicole mann she holds a Master of Science in Mechanical Engineering and is a colonel in the Marine Corps. She was an F-A-18 Hornet and Super Hornet test pilot and deployed twice aboard aircraft carriers in support of combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. Nicole was selected by NASA in June of 2013 and in the years that followed, led the Astronaut Corps in the development of hardware for our Artemis program. Today, the Crew Fire Commander will be flying into space for the first time and once she reaches space, she will be the first Native American woman to stay on station. A historic first for NASA and for her. Absolutely, Daryl. The astronaut corps is a widely diverse, and I'm just proud to see Nicole join that crew on board the International Space Station. With her is pilot Josh Cassida. He grew up in Bear Lake, Minnesota. The physicist and U.S. Navy test pilot flew the P-3C and the P-8A, as well as 23 combat missions. He later became an instructor at the U.S. Naval Test Pilot School, which is a path to NASA for military officers. Cassida is one of more than 100 graduates who have become astronauts, going all the way back to the Mercury program. More recently, he served as capsule communicator in mission control, but today he is the pilot aboard Dragon. It's a seat I know well, and I look forward to seeing Josh support Nicole and the rest of the crew on their way towards the International Space Station. The mission specialist now, Koichi Wakata, He's the veteran, a Japanese astronaut who has a doctorate in aerospace engineering. In 1996, he became the first Japanese mission specialist aboard the Space Shuttle Endeavor for STS-72. Altogether, Koichi flew four space shuttle missions, a Roscosmos Soyuz, and was on a long-duration stay aboard the International Space Station. During his two-decade career as an astronaut, Koichi has spent 11 months in space. Bob, you spent a fair amount of time in space yourself. It's great to have a veteran aboard. 
It, it absolutely is. And uh, in addition to being a veteran, uh, Koichi just has a wonderful personality that I know is just uh, it's key to kind of success on board the space station. Our second mission specialist is Roscosmos cosmonaut Anna Kikina. She graduated from the Novosibirsk State Academy of Water Transport in 2006. In 2012, Anna officially became a candidate for the position of test cosmonaut. Crew 5 will be Anna's first flight into space, along with two of her other fellow astronauts. Now, each of these four crew members will be part of Expedition 68 once they arrive at the International Space Station. And there you see them there inside Crew Dragon Endurance, the second flight for this Dragon. I want to let you know if you're here locally, you want to step outside and enjoy the launch, you've got a small radio, you can pick us up on VHF radio frequency 146.940 on the megahertz scale, and on UHF radio frequency 444.925 megahertz FM mode. You can hear that all within Brevard County, right here on the beautiful Space Coast. And you can see the... Stage two locks load has started. Just got the call out that the stage two locks load has started. Putting that liquid propellant into the second stage. Let's check back in with Kate Tice and get an update from Hawthorne. Kate? Thanks, Daryl. We are T-minus 16 minutes away from launch, and everything continues to look great for Falcon 9 and Dragon. Uh, Falcon 9 began prop load at T-minus 35 minutes. Um, the loading of RP-1 fuel on the second stage is complete. Uh, that finished at T-minus 20 minutes. Fuel loading continues on the first stage. Uh, it is almost complete. That should be wrapping up here momentarily. Um, Densified liquid oxygen loading is underway on both the first and second stages. Those look to be about 80% on the first stage and uh, has only just recently begun on the second stage. So not much there yet. That will, those, that will wrap up at T minus three minutes and T minus two minutes respectively. Now, as for checkouts of thrust vector controllers, uh, what we call TVC wiggles, those are coming up. Uh, we basically check to make sure that the thrust vector controllers are able to actuate the engines themselves. Um, they, that's, what, that's what helps create gimbal uh, for those engines, and, and gimbaling is actually how Falcon 9 steers itself. Uh, so those are coming up along with throttle valve checkouts on the engines. The Dragon mission director and team are currently reporting no issues, so really good on that front. Communication checkouts are complete. The crew access arm is retracted, as we can see there, and the crew is strapped in and ready to go, as you can see there on the right-hand side of your screen. Everybody continuing to monitor prop load there on their crew monitors. Now, final instructions to the crew come at T minus 10 minutes. At that point, their crew displays will be configured for launch. This setup gives the crew insight into how the launch is proceeding uh, and provides constant updates on vehicle health. At T minus five minutes, we'll hear the call out uh, that will be in terminal count. And at that point, Dragon will transition to internal power. We'll hear continued call outs on the countdown nets as we get closer to liftoff. 
As for range, they continue to be go, continuing to monitor the launch corridor uh, and everything remains green. As for weather, we're looking at seven mile per hour winds at the launch site. And as I said before, as the countdown continues, we are seeing fewer and fewer clouds. Just an absolutely stunning day there at Kennedy Space Center. Let's check back in with Daryl to see uh, the last couple minutes prior to liftoff. Thanks, Kate, and it really couldn't be more perfect out here weather-wise for a launch. How about that, Bob? It just looks uh, absolutely stunning to look out and see the, the vehicle ready to go, the crew on board strapped in. I'm just super excited for them. And there's a view of the countdown clock and the historic American flag that has been standing there since the space shuttle program. Now you're looking at a pic of uh, Crew-5. Crew-5 flying aboard the Dragon capsule Endurance, and the booster that you see behind them that they're posing with is a brand new one. Actually was damaged in transit from California to Texas, but it was fixed, repaired. Crew did a great job, the SpaceX team, in getting it all ready. And at the time that Falcon 9 launches Dragon to space, the International Space Station will be 260 statute miles over Australia. Crew 5 will then spend the next 21 hours with mission control team that you see there in Houston, standing by, getting ready for the beginning of this mission. They'll spend 21 or 29 hours, rather, chasing down the International Space Station for a rendezvous at 4.57 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow evening. One of the longer transits, Bob. It's true. It's a, a little bit longer than usual, um, or average, I would say, as we work towards Crew-5. But as the launch dates shift around, that changes the time that you can actually arrive on Space Station. Uh, they've got plenty of consumables, so uh, it should be fun to have some time in space. And when they arrive tomorrow evening, we'll have live coverage on NASA TV of docking, as well as the Crew-5 welcome ceremony at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.15 p.m. Central. And some final thoughts, Bob, as we get ready to watch Crew-5 launch into space. You know, I, my opportunity to sit here and watch Crew-5 go has just been uh, inspiring again to see another vehicle head towards the International Space Station. Again, I'm, I'm excited for them and uh, just hopeful that Nicole, Josh, Koichi, and Anna have just a wonderful mission. I know that they've got a wonderful launch in front of them. Absolutely, and that's what we're rooting for here. And so with T-minus 11 minutes and counting, we're, we're going to spin our chairs around and watch the launch. But we're going to let Pat, uh, Kate and the team focus on the pad as we proceed through the final stretch of the countdown. We'll turn it over to Kate Tice at SpaceX headquarters in California to take us through. Take it away, Kate. Thanks, Daryl. As you can probably tell by the background noise, the crowd is definitely growing here at SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne, California. Uh, certainly one of our company traditions is to watch the launch itself from behind Mission Control, which you see there on your screen. Uh, you can see this is Mission Control Hawthorne, or as you sometimes hear referred to as uh, MCCX. And then, of course, a uh, crowd of employees watching from behind. I personally also stand there if I'm not doing the webcast, so I can confirm it's a great spot to watch launch. Um, I, like I said, as you can see, the, the energy is certainly starting to grow now that we're about to hit T minus 10 minutes. Beautiful view there of Falcon 9 and Dragon on the pad, ready to take Crew 5 to space. Did discuss Dragon, the SpaceX, confirm crew displays are configured for launch. 
Loco, we would like to give a huge thanks to the NASA and SpaceX team, the thousands of people for their development, preparation, and training in getting endurance and crew fire to the launch pad today, and your continued support in helping to make this a successful mission. We look forward to joining the rest of our Expedition 68 crew members aboard the International Space Station. And a special thanks on behalf of all the crew to our family and friends. It is your love and support that help make dreams come true. Now let's do this. Crew 5 displays are configured for launch. Copy, and Nicole, Josh, Koichi, and Anna, on behalf of the entire team at SpaceX, good luck, Godspeed, and enjoy the ride. And those words from Nicole Mann, the first female commander of a Dragon, as she thanked the many folks that have helped to get them to this point. We're now less than nine minutes away from launch today. Upon liftoff, you'll hear a number and letter combinations, which mark different abort zones throughout the flight, as well as some performance calls. The first two are 1A and 1B, and those signify the first stage and will last up to the very north tip of North Carolina. The next are 2A through 2E, and those will come into play once the second stage kicks in, lasting from the top of North Carolina all the way to the tip of Newfoundland in the Northern Atlantic. You'll also hear a spot that is to be avoided, and you might hear Shannon or forward to Shannon, and that actually refers to Shannon, Ireland, meaning they would target off the east coast of Ireland if they were later in that second stage and did need to abort for some reason. So the next major milestone that we're looking towards will come just seconds from now, and that will be when engine chill begins on the first stage of the engine. That's right. So engine chill is basically when we take a little bit of that super chilled, densified liquid oxygen and we flow it through the turbo pumps of the Merlin M1D engines on the first stage. This helps to prepare the turbo pumps and avoid any thermal shock to the hardware when they see the full flow of liquid oxygen during ignition. Uh, we're also expecting the uh, conclusion of uh, prop load um, for the RP-1 on first stage to wrap up at T minus six minutes. Locks load continues to be underway on both first and second stages. Again, wrapping those uh, at T minus three minutes and two minutes. And after that, we'll hear a number of callouts related to Dragon's flight computer. Some will stage be the- Stage one engine chill has started. And you did just hear that call out that stage one engine chill has begun. Coming up in just about 45 seconds, we should expect to hear that RP-1 load is complete. RP-1 load is that densified kerosene or rocket fuel that will help propel the crew into orbit. All of that RP-1 is loaded into the first stage and we are standing by to hear that it was uh, loaded into the second stage as well. Again, we expect that to wrap at T minus six minutes. Uh, the venting that you see on screen is totally normal. That is just some- Stage one, RP-1 load is complete. Great news there, the RP-1 load is now finished. Um, as I was saying, the venting that you see on the vehicle is totally normal. That's just some of the super chilled, densified liquid oxygen uh, uh, just vaporizing as it comes into contact and vents from the vehicle. 
And coming up, we'll also hear the call for Dragon to configure for terminal count. And then it will be transferred over to internal power. And then we'll hear that propellant tanks on Falcon 9 are getting ready to pressurize, which helps add some additional rigidity and structural support as we get ready for a strong back retract. That strong back will retract a couple of degrees at first, and then we will see it swing open completely uh, just shortly or at the moment of liftoff. Falcon 9 tanks will be pressurizing for strong back retract. And there's that indication that we are preparing for that strong back retraction. Coming up in just a few seconds, we should hear that Dragon is in terminal count. Dragon is in configure for terminal count. All right, there we heard that call. Dragon onboard computers have now taken control of the vehicle. As I mentioned before, first stage locks or liquid oxygen loading is underway and will wrap up at T minus three minutes. And second stage will wrap its locks load at T minus two minutes. Launch teams continue to report no issues and everything remains green and for an on-time launch. Has started. And here in just a couple seconds, you might be able to see the strong back arm as it does begin to retract. As Kate said, it will recline two degrees. We can just barely make out that the clamp, the clamp arms are now beginning to move. All right, now that those clamp arms are removed, as Sandra said, this will retract by two degrees. Uh, and then at liftoff, the strong back will retract another to 45 degrees, uh, allowing Falcon 9 to clear. Strong back is part of the transporter erector, and the transporter erector is what provides uh, the liquids, the gases, the electrical connections to the vehicle. It's also what we use to integrate the vehicle in its horizontal position, and we can see that two degree retraction just now. And the next call out that we should hear in about 20 seconds is that the first stage locks load is complete. Stage one, locks load is complete. And there we go, all of the oxidizer loaded on stage one. Soon we'll hear that stage two locks load is complete and that will be the last propellant call out we'll hear today. Now less than three minutes until launch. Dragon is in terminal count and is on internal power. All right, there we heard the good news that Dragon is now on internal power. Again, the white clouds that you see there at the base of the Dragon trunk, totally normal. That's just the vapor uh, from the liquid oxygen. Again, second stage now wrapping up its LOX load. Excuse me, first stage wrapping up its LOX load um, just a few minutes ago, and now moving toward wrap up of second stage LOX load, which will complete at T minus two minutes. Coming up on two minutes until liftoff, standing by for word that stage two locks load has been completed.
Dragon is in auto idle. Stage two locks load is complete. There we heard the call out. Falcon 9 is now completely fueled. Wow. All of its propellants. So yeah, are starting. All of its propellants, and we can see that leftover liquid oxygen uh, now being vented or released, uh, now flowing further away from the vehicle. So nearly 1 million pounds of liquid oxygen in RP-1 now on board Falcon 9. It is fully loaded and ready for launch. And coming up at T minus one minute, we'll hear that Dragon is in countdown. Its flight computer will switch to countdown mode and we'll hear that the flight termination system on Falcon 9 is armed. FTS is armed, Falcon 9 is in startup and is now controlling. And there you heard it, Dragon's, Dragon is in countdown. Dragon's flight computer in countdown. The flight termination system now armed. We should get the final go for launch from SpaceX launch director, Mark Dragon, SpaceX. Godspeed, go for launch. SpaceX Dragon, go for launch. SpaceX reports go, seconds. crew reports go, 30 seconds until liftoff. T minus 15. 35 seconds into the fifth rotational crew mission on board Dragon and Falcon 9. Coming up in just a few seconds, we'll hear the call out for stage one throttle down. Stage one throttle down. Falcon 9 engines throttling down to help pass through the period of maximum dynamic pressure. This period is known as max Q, and once the vehicle there, we just heard that the vehicle is now traveling faster than the speed of sound. Once through Max Q, we'll throttle those Merlin engines back up. Max Q. Stage one throttle up. Stage one Bravo. Copy one Bravo. That call out for one Bravo means we're in the second and final abort mode for the first stage, continuing to get good performance. The crew is already pulling over two Gs. And next up is going to be a couple of events in rapid succession. First will be engine chill on the second stage and back engine. And there you heard that call out. And then we'll have Miko or main engine cutoff where the nine engines igniting will cut off in preparation for second stage separation. Then we'll see the single Merlin vacuum engine on the second stage ignite and continue to carry the Crew-5 astronauts to orbit. 
just like we did on first stage, that MVAC chill is intended to help pre-chill the hardware prior to the full flow of that densified liquid oxygen. Stage one throttle down. At this point in time, those nine Merlin engines are beginning to throttle down in preparation for MECO or main engine cutoff. Standing by for MECO. And MECO. Stage two alpha. And Stage separation confirmed. Copy, two alpha. There we should see that second engine begin to ignite now. And obviously confirmed by the loud cheer behind us here at Mission Control Hawthorne. And we're also in two Alpha for the aborts if needed. Again, second stage is lit and continuing to carry the Crew-5 astronauts into orbit. We're now getting a view of the first stage uh, after that stage separation. The second stage is still being illuminated by that single Merlin vacuum engine, and that's on the right-hand side of your screen. First stage on the left-hand side of your screen, making its way back to Earth. We will be attempting to land it on our drone ship, um, which today we are using just read the instructions. Acquisition signal, Bermuda. We did hear that acquisition of the ground station in Bermuda. The first stage is continuing to make its way back to Earth, and the second stage is going Dragon to continue. Trajectory nominal. Another good call. Trajectory nominal. Dragon copy. Confirmation there from Commander Nicole Mann. You can also sort of see the, the Space Coast there in the background of the first stage on the left-hand side of your screen. It also looks like you can actually see the thrust plume uh, created by the first stage as it's now rotating just out of screen. Second stage is going to continue firing until a little over eight minutes into the flight, really doing the heavy lifting now, getting the crew into orbit. Everything continues to look nominal on both first and second stages. As I mentioned before, the first stage will be making uh, a, a landing on one of our drone ships, which is currently parked a couple hundred miles off the coast of Florida in the Atlantic Ocean. So we can see now that... Dragon, SpaceX, trajectory Good confirmation there that we have good trajectory. The second stage now traveling over 5,400 miles per hour. Crew is pulling a little more than 1G right now. That's going to continue to ramp up, peaking just before we get to second stage cutoff here in just a few minutes from now. First stage will be performing two separate burns, a re-entry burn where we reignite three of the Merlin excuse me, the Merlin M1D engines on the first stage. Uh, we ignite the center engine into radial, radial engines to help slow it down as it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. And then the second final burn, and that will be the landing burn on our drone ship. And the single MVAC engine Dragon, that you see. The single MVAC engine that you see on the right of your screen is continuing to fire. We did hear another call out that trajectory is nominal. 
crew heading in the direction that they are supposed to be. This single engine can produce over 220,000 pounds of thrust in the vacuum of space. Now over 200 kilometers in altitude. We will start to hit events now in a rapid succession as the first stage continues to make its way back to Earth and the second stage continues its burn. Just a couple minutes left in that burn. For those of you just joining us, just over six and a half minutes ago, uh, our four Crew-5 astronauts launched from Kennedy Space Center in Florida, and they are now making their way into orbit on the second stage inside Dragon. Crew Dragon. Which we're hearing that the trajectory on that is nominal. Uh, they are in, safe inside uh, Dragon Endurance, whereas the first stage on the left-hand side of your screen uh, is making its way back to Earth. We are coming up to the re-entry burn, which as I said before, we ignite three of the nine Merlin engines to help slow the booster down as it re-enters the dense part of the Earth's atmosphere. As the entry burn completes, we'll be in the Stage final- Stage one, entry burn startup. So there we Stage heard the call out. You can there see it on your screen that that entry burn has been initiated. And as that entry burn completes, we'll be in the final um, different abort phases here shortly, which essentially correspond to areas along the very northeastern seaboard of the U.S. Stage and then, one entry burn shut down. Great news that entry burn was shut down, and then those last all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, Atlantic off the coast of Scotland for those abort zones. Everything continues to look nominal for both the first and second Stage stages. And the crew with the second stage still attached is now traveling over 13,000 miles per hour. We're about 10 seconds away from Seco 1. Copy, Shannon. Shannon, that call out. That call out for Shannon, Ireland, indicative of our final abort zone. After this, we'll see second stage shut off and we'll be listening for confirmation of a good orbit, which tells us the crew and Dragon are exactly and where they need to be. And there we had confirmation that the impact has shut down simultaneously. Uh, the entry. And you heard that call for a good insertion. We will coast for a few minutes. There we can see the drone ship coming into view as Falcon 9 attempts. Stage one landing leg deploy. We can see those landing legs have now deployed. And as you can see on your screen, and you can hear by the clapping and cheering behind me, Falcon 9 has landed on our drone ship just through the instructions, parked off the coast of Florida. And again, that second stage separation will be coming up just a couple of minutes now. We do coast for a few minutes after second engine cutoff to allow any rates to or motion to dampen out and settle. 
and looks like we're going to get a view of the second stage as it separates here shortly. We did hear that the crew has been successfully inserted into a good orbit. Again, the crew is still attached to the second stage. We are expecting stage separation to occur in just over a minute from now, about one minute and eight seconds. And that's when the, uh, excuse me, when the second stage will separate from the dragon trunk. The dragon trunk is the part of hardware where we are able to house the uh, cargo that is able to be exposed to the vacuum of space as well as the solar panels, which help power Dragon while it is on orbit. Again, that stage separation is now coming up in about 30 seconds. After stage separation, we will have nose cone deployment. Now that Dragon is in the vacuum of space, we're able to, we will be able to open the nose cone and expose that forward hatch, which is what is utilized to dock uh, autonomously with the International Space Station. And that nose cone does stay closed for the flight uphill to help protect all of the guidance, navigation, and control sensors. We are standing by for second stage separation. And there is separation. Dragon separation confirmed. And Dragon, did you ask right there? Dragon captain is on. Dragon, this year, launch right there on Dragon. On behalf of the entire launch and recovery team, it was an honor and a pleasure to be a part of this mission with you. And while October 3rd may belong to the Mean Girls, October 5th will forever belong to Crew 5. Godspeed endurance. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you so much to the Falcon team. That was a smooth ride up here. We got three rookies that are pretty happy to be floating in space right now, and one uh, veteran astronaut who's pretty happy to be back as well. Let's see what you got to say, Coochie. Uh, Falcon team, uh, you know, it was a smooth ride, and uh, I see all the three happy faces here it's back in zero G, and I appreciate all the help to give us a smooth ride and training, and thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Anya. Uh, thank you, Falcon 9 and uh, uh, several uh, agencies, uh, to Roscosmos, NASA, and JAXA, and C6 exactly for 
uh, giving us that opportunity. We're so glad to do it together. And uh, thank you for everybody, for all people who are with us. Спасибо большое всем агентствам Роскосмос, НАСА, ДЖАКСА и, естественно, SpaceX за предоставленную нам возможность. Мы рады всем экипажам делать то, что мы сейчас делаем. И большое спасибо всем людям, кто сейчас с нами. Some really nice words there from the Crew 5 crew as well as... And Dragon Falcon 9C, thanks for the words. Uh, had a great ride. Have a good mission. We'll see you later. A wonderful Mean Girls reference there by launch director uh, Mark Soltis. And then we just heard from Chief Engineer Dan Alex. And we just heard our first Quindar tone. Indicating the crew is in space. activation and service section Draco checkouts. Expected loss of signal, New Hampshire. Dragon copy. And Kate, it did look like we were getting our first views of that microgravity indicator. I did see that as well. <laughs> and we're getting views now of the crew on orbit, three of them for the first time ever. We saw some Cheers, some high fives. Looks like they're feeling great. Hopefully we can see that zero G indicator float back into view and hopefully get a better shot of it. I couldn't quite tell what it was, although it kind of looked like it may have been an Einstein doll. Uh, but that's just kind of what it looked like from the, the backside. I think you're right, Kate. It looked like a baby Einstein to me. <laughs> so the next milestone that we're looking ahead towards is the nose cone opening. If you've just joined us, joined us, we had a successful liftoff uh, exactly 16 minutes ago of the Crew 5 mission. Uh, they had an on-time liftoff from Kennedy Space Center at noon Eastern time. They had a smooth ride up to orbit. The first stage landed successfully on our drone ship. Uh, just read the instructions and everything has been looking good so far. Uh, we are hoping to get another view on board Dragon uh, once we're able to get that camera back. Uh, but so far, uh, you know, everything leading up to this point in time, we got a shot there of the uh, MVAC engine which is no longer firing. It is uh, coasting um, with that second, attached to the second stage, which has been separated from Dragon. Um, yeah, so everything was super smooth this morning, uh, starting all the way back. Uh, I think we got here around T minus four hours and uh, super smooth countdown, beautiful day from Kennedy Space Center. It looked like a, a gorgeous view uh, from where Daryl and Bob were sitting. Uh, but yeah, we are uh, standing by for the nose cone opening. Now that the Dragon spacecraft is in space, we are able to. Loss of signal we are able to open up that uh, nose cone and expose the forward hatch, which is what is utilized to autonomously uh, dock with the International Space Station. But of course, to protect that hardware as well. Signal. 
as well as uh, protect the uh, guidance and navigation control hardware. Uh, we keep that nose cone closed during uh, launch preparations and during the ascent portion. So uh, as you can see, saw there uh, momentarily, uh, Dragon is in space and uh, the crew four, or excuse me, the crew five astronauts, all four of them are um, floating, uh, or they will be able to float soon. Uh, we're hoping to get another view of that zero G indicator once we're able to bring cabin, uh, onboard cabin views uh, back to you of the Crew-5 crew. Uh, we always like to see what the uh, what the zero-g gravity indicator is. As you saw earlier in the web webcast, uh, Bob actually brought uh, the zero-g indicator that he and Doug used on the Demo-2 mission, uh, a lovely sequined dinosaur, which I also have one at my desk, not the... Uh, Bob obviously has the one that went to space. Mine is a replica, uh, but we love seeing these zero-g indicators. It's a really nice way to connect uh, those of us on ground with the folks up in space. So as I said before, we are anticipating uh, nose cone deployment shortly. Uh, just I'm gonna do a quick check-in and oh, there we can see now uh, the nose cone, the hooks have been released and we see that nose cone moving with a pretty up-close shot. We're continuing to see that nose cone open and acquisition as, of signal line. As we've mentioned, this does uncover a number of critical systems for the flight up to the space station that will be required for docking. There are six hooks that hold the nose cone in place during the launch and ascent portions. Those have begun to retract and the nose cone is beginning to swing open. The nose cone is about two-thirds of the way open at this time, so we do expect it to be fully open here shortly. Shortly after nose cone deployment, the crew will be able to get their visors open and they'll be given the okay to get out of their suits and that will allow them to settle in for their ride to the International Space Station. It is about a 29-hour journey for the crew from launch to docking to the space station, but as you said, they'll be able to get out of their suits, get comfortable, get some rest, and just enjoy being in the microgravity environment of space. Again, we have three first-time flyers and one veteran on today's flight, but I'm sure it was an exciting moment. No matter how many times you've been to space, I can't imagine that it ever gets old. I would probably agree with that. Um, I would also imagine that the three first-time space-goers will have a brief period of acclimation to gravity. I know I certainly would, and I also recognize that my period probably wouldn't be very brief in order to get acclimated to that lack of gravity. Um, but yeah, this is something that um, the veteran um, astronauts on board station uh, are you know, always happy to help uh, really introduce the, the new space-goers uh, to the new environment. Absolutely, and we did also hear that there was good service section Draco checkouts that took place. We are standing by for that nose cone to be fully deployed, but it should be coming here momentarily. Go 
Dragon, we see a nominal nose cone opening, TCS and forward bulkhead Draco checkouts. Dragon copies. Next burn is a the upcoming phase burn per your displays. We see the phase burn in 28 minutes. Good read back. So you heard it there, the nose cone has fully been opened successfully. We had some good checkouts on the Draco thrusters, on the service section Draco thrusters rather. And we also had nominal forward bulkhead checkouts. That's right, and the astronauts should be getting the okay to doff or remove their suits uh, in about six or seven minutes. Uh, I would imagine that, um, as Sandra mentioned before, we do have three space newbies on board today. I would imagine that they would be pretty excited to get out of their seats. They've been in, uh, in these seats for a while. Uh, the crew ingressed hours ago, and uh, if I would imagine that the three folks and, uh, and even the veteran, everybody would be excited to get out and uh, be able to float around a little bit for the first time on this Crew-5 mission. Yes, absolutely. And you do see the crew working through some procedures there on the touch pads that they do have in front of them. They'll continue to have those available for them throughout their flight uphill. Again, this is going to be about a 29-hour launch to docking for Crew-5. It seems as though that zero-G indicator may have floated out of view, perhaps up above the crew displays. We can see that the visors are up. Dragon, SpaceX, environments are looking good for suit doffing. For today, we can leave the uh, camera configured for a little while longer, but at this time, you are go for 4.012 and 4.300. As a reminder, please stow the suits with the visors closed. I'll copy. Okay, Dragon copies. We are go for 4.012 and 4.300. We're gonna keep the cameras configured, and when we stow the suits, we'll do it with the visors closed. Good readback. At this time, you're also go to tell the world a little bit about that stowaway we saw shortly after second engine cutoff. So we're standing by from a few words, so standing by for a few words from the crew about that zero-G indicator. And there it is. SpaceX is launched Dragon up back in the ground. We missed the last part of your trip. 
And no worries, repeating my last one there, I was going to uh, have you all talk a little bit about your zero-G indicator, uh, but we can hold that off for the next uh, ground station pass here for Dubai. Uh, at this time, what I'll do is I'll take the cameras external for suit doffing, and then uh, you let me know when we're allowed to come back on board. Okay, Dragon copies, so we'll let you know when you come back on with the cameras, and we're excited to talk about our uh, stowaway here. Okay, your Dragon copies, and working. And it does sound like we are in a brief expected loss of signal with the crew. This does happen from time to time when we're in between our satellites, but we will have views and communication back with them here shortly. And we're looking forward to hearing their words on their stowaway and what that special meaning is for the crew. So with Crew 5 now successfully on orbit, let's head over to our counterparts at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Daryl, it was spectacular to watch this launch from here in Hawthorne, but tell me, what was it like to see it on the ground? <laughs> it was amazing. First of all, we got an idyllic day right here uh, on the Space Coast. I mean, the temperatures are like, uh, you know, mid-70s. There's a cool breeze. Phenomenal launch. Bob, I want to get your thoughts. You've flown, you've watched. This was pretty perfect. No, this was just outstanding. It was picturesque, you know, with the blue sky, the blue background, uh, a beautiful day here in Florida. The only thing I, I, I wish was that I was there with them because that is the one place that is better to watch a launch from uh, than right here at the Kennedy Space Center is on board the rocket ship. I got to believe that. And uh, though we weren't on board, we did get to watch the views as we were going up and saw them land the booster, which, by the way, that booster also going to be SpaceX's and NASA's Crew 6 booster. So more the reuse, NASA taking advantage of that as well. Absolutely. Every chance that we get to reuse a, a capsule or reuse a booster kind of drives down costs and uh, increases the opportunity for more folks to fly in space. Now I'm headed out to, uh, to take a swim, right? Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> is just perfect out here. Bob, thank you for your thoughts. Um, and now we're going to move on. We've got an interview here with uh, Robin Gatens, the director of the International Space Station, who also joins us here. And you got to experience the launch from right here uh, outside the, the press site. And I want to ask you, how did you enjoy it? Well, it's always exciting to see launch to the International Space Station. I've seen many, but uh, especially uh, to see an, a new international crew uh, headed to the International Space Station was, was very exciting. And of course, you, you nailed it. Beautiful day. Really glad we, we got this one off today. Absolutely. And they'll make that 29-hour transit to the space station. Uh, you're the director of the International Space Station. So I want to ask you, I, I heard there's a book coming out uh, that's, uh, I, there have been books before about the International Space Station, but a new one's coming out. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's called Our Benefits to Humanity. Uh, it is a publication we have put out before, and we actually released it in July, so it's out. Uh, it's both in print format as well as online, so uh, people can just search on Benefits to, uh, for Humanity, International Space Station, and find that book. And it highlights uh, all of the wonderful research that's going on on the space station. This crew will be doing over 200 experiments during their time on the International Space Station, ranging from uh, medical uh, kinds of research that, that will help treat diseases and, and produce uh, new, new drugs uh, here on Earth, regenerative medicine. One day we might even uh, print uh, organs uh, for transplant on Earth. We have 
earth science going on on space station, a number of climate instruments to help us um, understand Earth's climate, uh, really exciting results. This is truly uh, what we call the decade of results on the International Space Station where uh, we're, we're, we're building on past uh, lessons and capabilities to just uh, compound the results that we're able to get out of the space station. And 235 investigations, 76 new ones, and you mentioned the decade, two decades, more than two decades, the yes. International Space Station has been operating. Uh, you mentioned some of the science that they're going to be doing. I'm wondering if you have a favorite that you've kind of identified, like, oh, I can't wait to find out the results of that. Well, I've been tracking a lot of them. Um, I'm really excited about some of the medical uh, things. Uh, we're flying again a... Uh, a payload by a company called Lambda Vision, and they're producing uh, retinal implants that could be used to uh, help uh, patients with um, ocular degeneration. Uh, so that's really exciting. I'm excited about uh, what we're learning, um, you know, with respect to the climate. We've got brand new climate instruments up on board. Um, We've got companies learning how to make better products through their research on uh, through the ISS and, uh, National Lab um, and their their work on the space station. So um, I'm also excited about plant research going on on mm -hmm. space station. I think that's not only important for future exploration missions, but also to help us grow plants in harsh environments, small spaces here on Earth. And also NASA while doing all of that is continuing to work towards its ultimate goal of uh, getting to the moon, going back to the moon and sustaining our presence there. A lot of technology uh, at the station that works towards that end. We want to actually pause though for one second because we understand that one of the astronauts, uh, Josh Cassida, has a statement that he is going to uh, make. Uh, it, uh, it is relatively about uh, his zero-g indicator, which if you saw, and the coverage, it was a, I don't know if it was a baby Einstein, Bob, but it was a little Einstein. It definitely <laughs> looked like a small Einstein, but we'll listen to Josh and hear exactly the details. Let's listen in. Again, waiting for astronaut Josh Cassida. With a special message. And Dragon, cameras are internal. SpaceX. Dragon copies, we are internal. We see waistbands off and stand by for the cabin mic check. You see Koichi Wakata is out of his seat. Yeah, this SpaceX Dragon from the cabin mic com check. And Koichi, I've got you five by five. How me? Mike, we have you loud and clear also. Great news, and we're also getting some great views inside the capsule here. So if you all want to get a chance to talk about your indicator, we'd all love to hear some. Absolutely, Mike. So, uh, a couple years after 
come up with his groundbreaking theory of special relativity. Albert Einstein, in his mind, still had a couple loose ends to tie up. While he was sitting in the patent office, because he wasn't famous yet, definitely should have been, he had his happiest thought of his entire life. That thought was, person in free fall doesn't feel their own weight. That thought, along with some others that he built upon, led to general relativity and our understanding of gravitation and curvature of space-time. We're experiencing Einstein's happiest thought continuously, like the International Space Station has been doing for over 20 years. On Crew 5, call this little guy our free-fall indicator. We're here to tell you there's plenty of gravity up here. In fact, that's what's keeping us in orbit right now and preventing this trip on a Crew Dragon from being a one-way trip. A little bit like life. We live in the same world. We live in the same universe. Sometimes we experience it in a very different way from our neighbors. We can all keep that in mind. Hopefully we can all continue to do absolutely amazing things. Do it together. Well, that was excellent, Josh. We appreciate you all taking the chance to share with us some of those special words and some of the meaning to you all. I'll tell you, my crewmates are just happy that uh, we didn't break out a dry erase board and get into more detail. <laughs> we'll chat lensing later. Absolutely. A message from okay, at this time. astronaut Josh Cassida, the pilot of Crew-5, and his fellow astronauts and cosmonaut floating in space high above the Earth as they head to the International Space Station with a special message about Albert Einstein, who is represented there floating around space as the zero-G indicator, but then also a nod to his uh, theory of relativity. E equals MC squared, I believe, Bob. <laughs> well, there are a lot of great things that Einstein was responsible for, and uh, I would just say that uh, maybe there are five folks uh, experiencing his uh, happiest thought on board uh, the Dragon capsule just right now. Absolutely, and NASA is looking to return humans to the surface of the moon, and this is part of it, going to the International Space Station. We mentioned some of the efforts in, uh, in going up there, and of course the science that's going to be done by Crew-5. We're looking forward to that as well. Some final thoughts, uh, Bob, about the day today. Well, it was just a wonderful day, a chance for me to relive the launch experience with the Falcon 9 and the Dragon capsule. And I'm just super excited for the, uh, the Crew-5 uh, and little Einstein uh, on board and in free fall right now. A very special moment indeed. Before we wrap up, I want to send it over to Megan Cruz, who is with Deputy Administrator and former Space Shuttle astronaut, Pam Melroy. I am Pam, and I have just been chatting about how wonderful of a day this was for a launch. Oh, it, it's a gorgeous day yes. here at the historic Kennedy Space Center. For me to see the next generation of launch vehicles launching to the space station was thrilling. And also the next generation of, of young explorers. You know, you and I were talking about a young boy here, guys, that bought a, a, a space <laughs> suit, an astronaut suit from downstairs at our, our, uh, our store and was wearing it around and running around. How cute was that to see him so excited? Well, I found it pretty cute to see the...